0: Welcome to Plundergrounds number 92. This is the second half of the discussion I had with Cody Mazza of the No Save For You podcast about our favorite original edition retro clone, Delving Deeper. If you haven't heard the first part, it might not make a lot of sense. So head on over to No Save For You, the podcast. I'll leave a link in the show note and listen to that first before you jump into this second half. If you're ready, here we go. Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to
1: a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and Dungeon Delve, science fiction, watch yourselves.
0: You had a note in here uh, when, we, when we kind of talked about what we might discuss, and you said underworld versus underground, context, expectations. What do you mean by that?
1: Um, yeah, I think it's, um, you know, if someone says, okay, we're going underground, then you expect, you know, as someone who lives in a a real place like Earth, if you go underground, you expect to see certain things like caverns and some small creepy crawlies, bats, Mm -hmm. maybe. But if you say you're going to the underworld, then, you know, I I don't know about you, but I've never been to the underworld. So then, you (laughs) know, my my preconceived notions about what's underground changes, right? There could be anything down there. There could be slimes or demons or you know whatever it could be down there um and i think that's a cool way to word it because when you say you know okay the dungeon's underground then your players automatically start thinking even if subconsciously you know what's underground
0: i couldn't remember if that came from philotomy's musings or if it came from uh this book but it does refer to it as the underworld. And I like that. Uh, Philotomy's Musings has a great chapter just called the mythic underworld. And it basically right. is addressing exactly what you said, which is, Hey, this isn't uh, it doesn't have to be normal. It doesn't always have to make sense. It's a weird right. place. It's a, yeah. it's a mythical place, right? When, when uh, Ulysses pours out libations to the dead to get, you know, some guidance to talk to the dead, he's not uh, checking to see where they go to the bathroom or,
1: yeah, right. If they're...
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, what the carrying capacity of the dungeon is?
1: I almost wonder if they did that. There was an episode that uh DM Dad did a long, long time ago about him generating a random dungeon from the three mm-hmm. booklets, and there were like, you know, there's a black dragon ten levels under, but no exit for it. So he's right. like, well, how does it go to the bathroom? Where does it go to hunt? And you know. I guess back then people weren't really concerned about it or it didn't really matter because they were just having mm-hmm. fun with the game. Yeah, maybe it teleports out. I mean, there's all kinds yeah, of, I mean, right. it is a,
0: <laughs> right. You can, um, asking those questions can be fun if you're open to like weird answers. Because right. Because it's, it's a weird world. It's a world full of magic and it's a world that doesn't always make sense by conventional logic.
1: Yeah, and I think um, calling it an underworld just reinforces that, which is mm-hmm. cool. What's some of the what's some of your favorite things about delving deeper? the monster stats? They're so it's a one line, you know. Mm-hmm. If you look at the the book, it's you know one line across, which makes it easy to you know you can look at it once and memorize it, and then not have to look at it again. Uh, so you get that what do you call it, eyes up gaming, right? So I'm not looking yeah. at a book, I'm looking at my players. Um, That's which right. Is cool.
0: There's very few monsters with multiple attacks, which is kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, the combat is so fast. I found in Barrow Maze, you know we blow through an encounter in like five minutes and it could be a Mm -hmm. complex encounter and you know even in a game like BX or something it would have taken longer yeah definitely Uh, how lethal do you find it well we had a TPK in the first session but (laughs) (laughs) um, I find it about as lethal as most OSR games I guess it really Mm -hmm. that kind of depends on your DM style I will say at first level you have one to six hit points and all damage is one to six so you can very easily die in the very beginning.
0: Yeah, it's almost not fair to talk about first level. Um, yeah, you know for lethality, but once you get to right. second or third level, you know it's it, don't be stupid and you'll probably survive. Um, probably <laughs> maybe. Well, how maybe. do you so? How do you handle
1: when your characters level up? How do you handle them gaining hit points?
0: I like the way you do it. Uh, I like to yeah. re-roll the hits. So you you have them re-roll their. So in other words, if a if a fighter goes from level two to level three and gains another hit die, he'd roll all three hit dice. All three
1: hit dice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And if the and if the amount is higher than his previous amount, he takes it. And if it's not, you don't.
1: Yeah. Uh. So I I tried to make it a little bit nicer. If if the total isn't higher, then you at least gain one. Um, oh, that's right. And you gain one. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, I think that's good. And it, what it really does is if you had a terrible role at first level, it yeah. erases over time. You're going to get a better yes. role at some point. Yeah. Right. And uh, to be fair, if you have a really good role, you're not as likely to improve it much.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice uh, kind of power curve. Mm-hmm.
0: And I um, let's talk for just a minute about I realized that we pointed people at Philotomy's Musings, but the Thief class. Uh, you know, the argument that sticks with me for not having thieves has to do with usurpation of the role of, you know, figuring things
1: out, right, of, of yeah.
0: finding traps and all that. So the idea is that if you don't have the thief, then everybody does that.
1: Right. When I did Barrow Maze, the very first session um, with a different group, I allowed thieves and we had a thief. And what I found was people were disengaging when it came time for the thief to do things. Mm -hmm. Okay, you come to a door and they're like, okay, the thief will handle it. And then they're off doing something else or not paying attention or not even maybe not that they're not paying attention, but they're just not engaging in the fiction or um, with the other players. And when I remove them, I find that everyone wants to do something to make sure that there's not a trap on that door. You know, that's right yeah
0: that, that's right. That's a lot about player skill too, uh, the old right. idea of player skill over character skill, where uh there's no spotlight that shines on any one class and says, "Okay, it's this class's time to do something right. and the thief when you have the thief, it does that yeah, you're right, I and think it, so. and, it, and it's not true of so let's say you have a cleric and you have undead in the room. Yeah, there's a bit of a spotlight potential there where you say, like, if somebody's going to turn the Undead, it's going to be the Cleric. But that's not the only thing you could do to get rid of the Undead, so it's not exclusive. And, uh, yeah, allowing everybody to kind of engage with a puzzle is a lot better than having only the Thief do it.
1: Right. You don't use any kind of skill system at all, do you? Nope. It's, um, I try and resolve everything in the narrative as much as possible. So if they describe mm-hmm. to me, say there's like a tripwire on another side of the door, if they run their knife under it and it would hit the tripwire, then I say, okay, yeah, you find it. Um, if it, mm-hmm. the the only time is if, you know, if that, if the descriptions are taking too long or if um, the players get kind of stumped, I might have them do a roll under their attribute, but that's about as crunchy as it gets for me. So
0: Mhm. yeah, I think there's this there's a lot of feeling that you need something sometimes uh, because yeah. newer editions have it. And rather right. than just play the game and find out whether you need it, people tend to add it on before they even get to the table. And yeah. I, I think it's, it's cool to play it and go, okay, let's just, let's just see, do we really need skills? And most right. of the time you don't. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's uh that was my finding when I first picked it up. Um, I was going to add my normal kind of like suite of house rules. Mm-hmm. That had things like skills and you know like non-thieves can get sk- all that kind of junk um, that would have slowed it down and i was like well i'll just play the game first and see how it runs and i found that it didn't really need any of that
0: yeah yeah it's a pretty solid system as is so. uh the, the magic items you, you um, thought oh yeah magic yeah
1: items? um yeah i really like the magic items um It's a pretty short list. It's not very long. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the items in there are pretty cool. And of course, they don't have a specific example. The
0: one thing that's kind of interesting about magic
1: items, and this is a
0: holdover from original edition D&D, is that you'll notice uh, magic swords are very different than other forms of magic weapons. Yeah. Magic swords can be intelligent, often are. They they have a a purpose. The whole point of uh, making magic swords in particular but really special was because only fighters could use them. Yeah. So, you know, as opposed to having, you know, if you applied all the same rules to magic hammers, then clerics could use them. If you applied right. it to the magic staves, a, a wizard could use them. So, it's something special for the fighter. I don't know if I would, you know, if I would hold to that forever, but it is kind of a neat little distinction.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um we just had a magic sword come up in Barrow Maze and I had to determine at the table if it was intelligent or not um was it uh no i don't think so um okay Okay. it's just uh i think it's a blood drinker which isn't in the book i just picked that Mm -hmm. um, sure because of the location but um the only thing i do differently is um i am a fan of just simple plus one weapons but um in this game when everything is kind of like uh i don't want to say mundane but barrel maze is all very samey samey it's always undead. Mm. It's always, you know, this or that. Um, so I always try and add something to it. Uh, like they found a plus one staff and it was like in a uh, an overgrown tomb. So I said it was a staff of the green man. So it does like minor plant effects.
0: Yeah. There's a couple of things I learned from Dungeon World, and this is one of them. Uh, w- one of the things that I learned is, aside is the whole idea of monster moves. You know, that something that a monster would do, that's not necessarily an attack or, or it's an unconventional sort of attack. And it's just a fictional thing, but in magic items, what I really learned was the, the way dungeon world works, the system is really tight on uh, pluses. Like if you get too many pluses, it really throws the system way off. And so right. you don't really want magic items that have uh, that, that focus on the plus bonus. Instead you want magic items that have narrative effects. And that's right. what you're saying, which is like, here, you have this cool you know, staff of the green man and it, it, makes situations more interesting they're more creative they don't feel so just like um like the gear the gear that you go to town to get enchanted because you're at that level i mean it just makes the game a lot more special
1: yeah i feel like it's um more of a tool and less of a weapon right (laughs) that's right
0: the other thing I like to do is uh, make a distinction about monsters that can only be hurt with magical weapons, or or um, only take half damage from non-magical weapons. Because then, even a plus one, or even just a magic sword doesn't even have to have a plus on it. Right. If you just call it, if you just call it a magic sword and say it's enchanted, you know, if it has one minor fictional effect on the side that really doesn't even matter most of the time, uh, then that sword is really special because it does full damage against something that's you know, right. particularly evil. Yeah, you know. definitely. Yeah, I really like it. Uh, the, if you've ever rolled up too many of those swords, what you find is they uh, will quite often have something about them that's slightly problematic uh, in a good way, right? <laughs> like if they're intelligent, you know, it makes them uh, a little tricky to own and use.
1: Yep. They're kind of egotistical. You know what it reminded me of was um, the DCC swords. Uh-huh. Um, it's kind of the same. And I guess that's probably where they got the inspiration from. Yeah, because I haven't really encountered intelligent swords or, uh, you know, complicated swords and other kind of games before.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it comes from fic- it comes from like the appendix in fiction, right? right. I mean, so right. so that was there in the original edition. But uh It was kind of one of those things that was a little bit subtle when you look into it because people just did it, and you don't – you know, most swords, uh, they're used to reading fiction about people with magic swords that had cool, weird effects, and Mm -hmm. they would just do that, and they didn't write a lot about it, I think, but it's kind of there. Uh, Yeah, it's – look, I just think this is a really cool – I always tell people if you want to experience 1974 D&D, this is the set of rules to pick up.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think so. You know, I wasn't alive in 1974, but I think um, <laughs> this has been a, a cool kind of – I almost want to say nostalgic, but it's not nostalgia. I guess it's like shared nostalgia, maybe.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, there's people that say the only reason you'd play these rule sets is for nostalgia, and I don't think that's true either. No, I, 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 I mean, I started with uh, Holmes' Blue Book. Mm -hmm. And then, and that was in 77 and I quickly progressed to the AD and D books because that's what it told me to do. It said, you know, coming soon, advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And sure enough, there it was on the shelf and that's what I bought. And I never went back. I never played the little Brown books back in the day, but now, you know, as an adult, I'm doing the comic, like all this historical stuff and and going to Gary con and playing some of these older games played black, uh, the black game with Bob Myers, which is, you know, a a reincarnation of what it was like to play with Arneson, um, played in a zero edition game played in a couple of those actually i've played in a number of bx games you know and you just get all these subtle differences but i really am drawn to going backwards now not not forwards on that and how um somebody one of the other podcasters said this just recently they were talking about editions and how every time there's a new edition of a game they don't really find them fundamentally that much better than the original edition and i I think there's a lot here in this original edition of D and D. Yeah, there was more than I expected. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. And and less it's one of those less is more kind of things. Like you, mm-hmm. you think, well, because all these rules got added later, add more flavor, more character to the game. Yeah, maybe they do and maybe they don't, right? <laughs> when you right. sometimes it's just escalation and addition for the sake of escalation and addition. Uh I'm not saying it's bad, it's just uh it's just different, right? Right. So yeah, it's a really cool rule set. So like I said, if you want to play 74 D&D, this is a good set to play with. If you just want to play a simple eyes up uh, player, characters, or player skill, maybe even over character skill kind of game where you don't need to memorize a lot of rules, this is a good rule set. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a good rule set for playing any of the old modules. But what do you think has been the best thing about running Barrow
1: Maze with this rule set? Um, it gives me a more of a chance to engage with the module as opposed to the rules for the system, mm-hmm. because the system's so simple. I can focus on the the nuance of the descriptions or, um, you know, like creating uh, more interesting encounters or focusing on the interesting set piece encounters instead of have to worry about, you know, okay, well, they need a, you got to be proficient in this skill to get over this barrier. You know, it's.
0: <laughs> yeah. The rules don't, don't make any limitations, right. To what right. you can be. I remember there's yes. a line there's a line in the original Little Brown book, and I don't know if they've replicated it in here. I can't remember. But it basically says, um, you know, you could play anything you want to play. You could be a centaur or you could be a, mm-hmm. a dragon or something like that. And I always thought that was weird, that line in original D&D. You read that and you think, but how? Like, like there's, right. no, there's, no, there's no explanation of how you do that. And the answer is just figure it out. Just negotiate it with your GM, you know? Yeah. And it's cool. I mean, and I think when you don't have, a, look, it'd be a lot harder to figure that out if the rules aren't there. So, in fifth edition. So, in other words, if I wanted to play a centaur in fifth edition, well, we'd go to the monster manual and we'd pick out, you know, see what special attacks it had there. Mm-hmm. We'd decide if that's probably equal to a level. And then we'd go over to the, to the, you know, pick my class. And there'd just be a lot of kind of fiddling around in delving deeper. There's not that much. You know, you're right. just going to roll your stats. Um, you can pick a weapon, it's going to do d6 damage. Uh, you probably have a faster movement rate. You know, you might right. be able to carry people. Move as
1: a horse, probably.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 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 right. You, you're as a horse. You can probably carry people. Pretty much done right. there, aren't we? I mean, yep. there's not, you know, there's not a lot to do. You don't have to do a, you don't have to come up with a whole bunch of special attacks or special rules to make your character feel special. You just make it up in the fiction.
1: Right. That's um, yeah. That's been kind of. I think what I've been searching for in my gaming is getting more involved in the fiction. Um, I'm like a typical murder hobo, you know, in most of my Mm -hmm. games, I just kill things, take their stuff, level up, get stronger. Um, And I found with this, I'm actually able to kind of engage with the fiction in Barrow Maze, which is cool. Um, I wrote up a bunch of, like, uh, the historical backgrounds. I changed a bunch. It was, yeah, it's just been um, allowing me to focus on things that I think matter more than rules. So
0: So the pacing issue, like you had that first combat, it was over in five minutes, and you're thinking, now what, or when we went
1: (laughs) no uh well maybe that a little bit um it was definitely a shock how quickly the combats went by um Mm -hmm. and yeah i think that kind of forced me to adapt to the to the system um and say okay you know in, in a typical game this combat would have taken 25 or 30 minutes and that's you know a third of my session but it took five minutes and now we still have two and a half hours (laughs) <laughs> so it just right, changed away uh, um and it also helps me become like a better writer i think um yeah, i've expanded my vocabulary so that i can use better descriptive words um just you know i feel uh, a lot better about it so
0: that's cool i've enjoyed reading the uh thread in the audio dungeon discord where you guys talk about it there's a but a, a mercenary crew that you're that is kind of a thorn in their side, the Bogtown Bastards, is that right? Yeah,
1: Bogtown ba- yeah, exactly, yep. <laughs> they, uh, they claimed the Barrel Maze as their territory and started scalping people who went in there, and yeah. <laughs> they actually had a run-in with them in the last session, and it was kind of a, a really interesting encounter. And
0: It's yeah. funny, because I'll flip over to that thread once in a while, and I'll see your players planning what they're going to do to the Bogtown Bastards the next time yeah. they see one. And <laughs> you can tell that's yeah. really gotten their goat in a good way.
1: Right, and um, I'm not saying you can't do that in other systems. You certainly can. Um, oh yeah, it totally can. I, I just think for me, look, I work a pretty stressful job, and I got a, you know, pretty stressful life anyway. So when I sit down to play D and D or sit down to write D and D, I don't want to have to like expend all this mental energy. So with a, a rule system as light as this and it's easy to comprehend, it allows me to put my mental energy in other areas that are mm-hmm. guess, more important to me. So.
0: Cool. I think that's probably a good final word on it. Anything yeah. else that you want to add? Um,
1: carry some dice in your pocket.
0: Yeah, carry some dice in your pocket. <laughs> hey, so that's that's funny because uh, you said that the other day you had started doing that. Did it make you feel any different?
1: Yeah, uh, I felt like I was standing up straighter and I was ready for anything. <laughs> I'm serious. I was at work. That's... I was standing up taller. I felt like okay, you know, whatever's gonna happen today, it's gonna happen, and I've got these dice here to roll with it. So. Yeah,
0: that's that's a line. I think I, I think I got that line from what Sword and Backpack or something where it said, hmm. you know, keep keep a die in your pocket and it's the emblem of your like of you as a gamer. And right. I just I started keeping a couple dice in my pocket and it's amazing how you know, it's like when you if you've never worn a watch before, you start wearing a watch. It's something that you're just kind of aware of all right. the time. And having a, yeah. a couple of dice in your pocket makes a it makes an interesting, I don't know, kind of Do flavors you, your day.
1: Yeah, definitely. Do you notice when you forget them? Yeah, yeah, I
0: yeah. do. I do. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I intentionally leave them behind, and then I think, you know, later I'm kind of like, well, I feel kind of lame. I feel right. less powerful. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah, what is it? What is it about that dice? Have – they're what? Uh, what's the, it's line? the secret
1: what's of it? the nerd? We can't. We can't share it.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna look it up because I love this line so much. Uh, I'll edit this little searching out here, but. Sure. yeah. Something I, it's a uh, yep, sword and backpack on dice. So this is from the, my blog, The Bridian Scroll. And it says, each player should possess a personal 20-sided die. The die is used to resolve combat, make skill rolls, and so on. Sharing a die is fine, but it's weak magic. And sword and backpack yep. dice aren't just tools. They're a direct line to fate, a link to the great mystery. As such, they should be respected. Your personal die should be carried in one's pocket at all times. It's a totem, respected as such. <laughs> and I, I really like that line about a direct line to fate, a link to the great mystery. You right. think about the history, the history of sortilage, you know, how you would, uh, they would draw lots to see who was guilty or to right. decide which course they were going to take, they, whoever they are, right? They, ancient wise people.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of carry my uh, just like basic D- – I'm going to start carrying my uh, favorite D20 I think now. Uh I have I
0: have tried to – I first started out by carrying a D twenty and two D sixes because that felt the most That's what like, I carry now. Yeah. Old school thing to have in my pocket. Uh right. sometimes now I just do one or the other. Yeah.
1: Oh, okay, I see.
0: Yeah. But yeah, and I um there was a day that I intentionally chose really small dice to put in my pocket because then it like didn't seem so chunky and right. that it was weak it didn't yeah. you know it's, it's not powerful. as good yeah, yeah, that's right it's less powerful its also it makes you feel like you're ashamed of something that you should yeah be you're trying about. to hide it
1: yeah yeah <laughs> someone asks what that bulge in your pocket is you take it out and show them. that's 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 right you can say that's my dice right yeah that's you right wanna,
0: you want to throw some dice let's let's game. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for joining me, Cody.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, This has been good.
0: I hope you enjoyed that. I sure enjoyed talking with Cody about our favorite old school original edition game, Delving Deeper. The cool theme at the top of the show was by Logan Howard, who does the Swordbreaker zine and podcast. He recently released an episode of Swordbreaker about dreams, which was awesome and totally worth your time to go here. You can find links to all my stuff at www.rayotus.com. That's R-A-Y-O-T-U-S. And if you head over to plundergrounds.blogspot.com, there's a link in the show notes, by the way. You will see the notes for this show and others and links to the... Hypertext, the print your own PDF, and the Lulu version of Delving Deeper. Uh, they're all free except for the Lulu version, which at five bucks I'm pretty sure is straight up cost on that. Uh, I know that uh, when I've priced out making a book of that type myself, it's been close to 5 bucks. so they can't be making hardly anything on that. And it's a fine little volume. It's a nice little digest-sized 8.5 tall by 5.5 wide book with an interesting cover, black and white art, um, just a few pieces inside, clean layout, good fonts, nice tables. Totally worth having. uh, Real professional-looking product, well-edited. I think it's a fantastic little game on all fronts. So I'd encourage you to go pick it up. Until next time, put some dice in your pocket and look out for those rust monsters.